Hello, family, and welcome. In this program, we're going to talk about Arianism, a heresy which denied the divinity of Christ. One of the more dangerous heresies, it has continued to plague the people of God for centuries, with one devious disguise after another. How did it start? As almost all heresies from within. As we have been studying the history of the church, we have discovered history can help us to live truer, more faithful lives if we use this knowledge to come closer to Jesus, we have a choice. We can reflect on the errors committed by others in the past, learn from them and avert them, or follow the path the heretics took to anathema or condemnation. By repeating the same prideful heresies, which led not only the heretic to separation from the one true church, but all who trusted in his word. This heresy was begun by a priest, once again an ambassador of Christ, mm. who forgot Jesus' words when Peter asked him to avert the cross and crucifixion. Get thee behind me, Satan, you are a hindrance to me, for you are not on the side of God, but on men, of men. The founder of Arianism was a very shrewd and cunning priest named Arius, who used all the gifts that God gave him against God and his church. He chose the false promises of the world, choosing man and betraying God, and in so doing his sacrament of holy orders. It is popularly believed Arius was born in Libya in 270 AD. He is credited with having started Arianism, one of the most deadly heretical sects to attack the early church. It has continued assaulting the church until today under many titles. It is like a cancer that appears in remission only to resurface more menacingly than before. Our first encounter with Arius is somewhere between 300 to 311 AD, when he joined up with a group of heretics called Milatians. Now, evidently, he did not find what he was searching for because he left the Milatians. He then managed to get himself ordained a deacon of the church by Peter of Alexandria, who was the bishop at the time. Evidently, his loyalties were still with the Malatians because when they were censored, he bitterly criticized the church and came out against her. He was excommunicated by the same bishop who had ordained him deacon. Arius later regretted his outburst against the church. Mother Church not only forgave him and accepted him back into the church, he even maneuvered himself into being accepted into the priesthood. This was done by Bishop Peter's successor, Bishop Achilles. Then Bishop Achilles' successor, Bishop Alexander, thought so highly of Arius, he assigned him his own parish. A killer kills, a heretic spouts heresy, a dissenter dissents. Arius became involved with another heretic called Lucian, since God will ultimately reveal, we find Arius again in hot water. He just could not resist spouting his new mentor Lucian's errors. The dogma he was preaching not only brought him in conflict with his bishop, the very one who had entrusted him with his own church, it created a tidal wave that threatened to sink the ship of the church. Arius drew many to him and his false concepts. The enemy is so clever. In our time, in the 60s, the Satan of drugs came into the lives of our young through music. He has been able to induce the innocent in every form of perversion and act of violence through music. It's nothing new. 
Arius came upon a scheme to use many of the unsuspecting faithful to spread his lies. Use music. He tirelessly substituted his words, heresies in direct conflict with the teachings of the church, and set them to popular music of the day. He cut quite a figure as he went about the troubadour priests singing catchy lyrics to tunes everyone had already been humming. He had a slick delivery. He would sing and then speak. He even accompanied himself with a musical instrument as he spoke, dramatic. What a charismatic figure. He was passionate. He was zealous. He was a pied piper. Before you knew it, his doctrines were being sung by priests, fishermen, storekeepers, and farmers. Mothers were caroling these little ditties to their children on their knees. Everyone was singing, but it wasn't the Lord they were praising. And most of them didn't even know what they were doing or who they were betraying. Arianism denied the divinity of Christ. It taught that Jesus was not God the Son, that he was created out of nothing. It also imparted a heresy that Jesus did not exist with the Father together with the Holy Spirit before the beginning of time. By its nature, this heresy also had to deny the Trinity. This is a serious heresy. Our church teaches that Christ always was, is, and always will be together with the Father and the Holy Spirit who always were, are, and always will be. Glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. We believe that Christ being one with God the Father is one with the Creator. Now Arius was careful to say that Christ was not just a creature like other creatures, but that he was the highest creature. He was God, but he was not the one true God. He taught that Jesus was a lesser God. If, as Arius was saying, Jesus, the second person of the Holy Trinity, is not equal with God, who is the first person of the Holy Trinity, or is subordinate to God the Father, then why could there not be other gods like this, as in pagan days of yesterday and today? Does any of this sound familiar? Perhaps like New Age? In these, possibly the last days, are there not those who are promoting just that, that we are gods? As Catholics, part of our Judeo-Christian belief which goes back to Genesis, is that there is only one God. How can Christ be God and not be one and equal with God our Heavenly Father? Surely Arius had to be digging up the old heresy denying the Trinity, that of subordinationism, which also claimed that Jesus was not equal with the Father. In saying that Christ was not the one true God, was he not denying Jesus the second person of the Blessed Trinity? Exactly. Arius also dared to teach that Christ became a part of the divine nature of God as compensation for having died for our sins or in repayment for having redeemed the world. This tied in with his other heresies that stated that Jesus was not one with God the Father, that he did not exist before the creation of the world, and would not be with us until the end of the world. In other words, according to these heretics, Jesus was not a mortal like God the Father. He had a beginning and an end. My God, was he calling Jesus a liar? Not only had he deceived the faithful at large, but he had hoodwinked a powerful hierarchy, mainly from the East and to a small degree from the West. It got so bad that the Emperor Constantine called the Council of Nicaea in 325 AD 
to bring about peace and unity once and for all. Now, we have to remember that Constantine was not that spiritual. He really inherited this whole problem from his father, and he wanted it over. At the beginning of the 4th century, his father, the monster Emperor Diocletian, had attempted to wipe out all Christianity, whether by torture, death, or intimidation. But violence as a way of backfiring. The terror he spread throughout his kingdom blew up into the possibility of widespread insurrection. In an attempt to avert civil war, he stepped down from the throne. His empire was split between the East and the West. The war which Diocletian wished to deter was to be waged for the next 20 years. That was how Constantine ultimately inherited the West from his father. But in those days, as for all time, people envy and covet and are never satisfied. Power is a demon whose thirst cannot be quenched. Therefore, neither Constantine nor Maxanthius, who had inherited his portion of the kingdom from his father, were satisfied with the share of the kingdom they had inherited from their fathers. Constantine converted to the Catholic faith. However, he did not give up his pagan gods. He continued worshiping Apollo or Helios, the sun god. He just believed that the Christian god was more powerful and through him, Constantine could triumph over his enemies. Bishop Eusebius later wrote that Constantine had a vision where he saw a cross in the sky with the words, by this conquer. Mm. The best laid plans of mice and men often go astray. There are strong arguments leading to the hypothesis that Constantine converted to bring about unity under him. While the split in the church over Arianism was definitely not in harmony with his strategy to unify his kingdom. Therefore, although Constantine did not understand the reason for the devastating breakdown of the church, which was resulting from Arianism, he convened the first ecumenical council. If Constantine's motives were for political reasons, God would use this opportunity to keep his promise that hell would not prevail against his church. The church fights back. Constantine gathered bishops from all parts of his empire, from the east and from the west. The council convened in Nicaea in 325 AD. Whereas for Constantine, the first ecumenical council, or it is also known as the Nicaean council, might have been for worldly reasons for the church it was called to bring about unity and most specifically to fight to combat the heresy of Arianism. The council proclaimed for all time that Christ shared the same divine nature as his father. The council condemned Arianism and as with other heresies dispelled, it brought about the proclamation of a dogma. The Nicene Council gave us the Nicene Creed, our pledge of allegiance to the church, which we continue to pray every week at Sunday Mass. Everything was fine for about three years until an Arian bishop, Eusebius, returned from exile and insisted that Arius be reinstated in the church. The whole thing started all over again. Arianism gathered strength in Egypt. Constantine, who had called the council in the first place, now went against it and supported Arianism. Again, to give him credit, he was not being vindictive, nor had he switched loyalties. He was doing it for expediency. He wanted peace and unity in a very large kingdom. But St. Teresa of Avila said, not even the smallest evil is to be committed to accomplish the greatest good. Things went from bad to worse. 
Constantine supported Arianism militarily, using force to impose this heresy upon the faithful. But they would not abandon their church and the beliefs passed down to them from their ancestors. Bishops loyal to the church, who did not buckle under the pressure, were relieved of their sees. And some died martyrs' deaths rather than betray their Lord and his church. St. Athanasius responded to the errors of Arianism, putting it down as another form of heresies of Manichaeanism, Valentinism, and Marcionism. Because of his undaunted courage in writing and preaching against this deadly heresy, St. Athanasius was banished five times. Another defender of the faith, St. Hilary of Poitiers, lost his see and was exiled for many years. The see of Constantinople was held by an Arian for 40 years. And we do not understand the danger that we're in today. We sometimes grieve, meditating on the waste of talent and effort by some very gifted people who insist on using their God-given gifts to fight God instead of defending him. Arius was so deviously convincing in 336 AD, he was able to manipulate Emperor Constantine in believing he was and had always been authentically teaching the true dogmas of the church. You may ask, how was he able to accomplish this? What with all the censures that had been placed on Arius by bishop over bishop over and over again, his silver tongue got him by once more as he met with Constantine privately. The emperor issued an order. Arius was to be reinstated in the church. Arius strutted triumphantly back towards his quarters, but his joy was to be short-lived. Arius' victorious re-entry into the church was blocked as he was struck down by the angel of death. Arius, had you forgotten Jesus' word about the Son of Man coming like a thief in the night? But although Arius was dead, his heresy continued to flourish while Constantine was in power. After Emperor Constantine's death the following year, 337, Arianism started to lose some of its power. When Emperor Theodosius con condemned Arianism in 380, you would have thought that was the end of it. But it was like a boil that stays below the surface until it can erupt once more. It was the national religion of the Germanic nations for 150 years. The church fights back. Now, many of the bishops had been won over by Arius, but thank God there were those who remained faithful to the church. Whenever there has been attack, there has always been a remnant of the true fabric of the church who will follow the Pope and the magisterium. A battle ensued between bishops loyal to the church and those bishops who were in heretical accord with Arianism. When Arius came out with his heresy that Jesus was not equal to the Father, the Lord raised up a defender and a future saint and doctor of the church, St. Athanasius, who defended the church against the Arians, arguing, if Jesus and God the Father were not one, eternal and unchangeable, then all is futile. We are lost. St. Athanasius cited the opening of John's gospel. In the beginning was the word. The Word was in God's presence, and the Word was God. He was present to God in the beginning. Through Him all things came into being, and apart from Him nothing came to be. Whatever came to be in Him found life, life for the light of men. 
The light shines on in darkness, a darkness that did not overcome it. The Aryans fought back brutally. There was such an uproar that it spilled over from the hierarchy of the church to the man in the streets. There was a steaming anger brewing. The Aryans instigated even dock workers at the waterfronts. It was the same as it had been in the days of Jesus when Pilate asked the crowd who to spare and the few well-placed rabble-rousers swayed the masses against our Lord. The history of the world has always been the same. From the mob turning on Caesar right up to today, the few dissenters stronger than the many faithful. It looked as if the controversy between Arianism and the church would not only split the church, but pull down the state as well. And this the emperor could not allow. That's when he stepped in. At first, he tried to resolve matters between the Arians and the followers of St. Athanasius peacefully. And when that did not come about, he used force to no avail. Those for and against the church would not budge. The battle continued. The Council of Nicaea had clearly <clears throat> stated the position of the church as far as this heresy was concerned. Yet, with the support of many of the bishops 20 years later, Arianism had spread throughout much of the Roman Empire. After Emperor Constantine's death, not only had Arianism gained tremendous strides in the church, it had affected and infected every aspect of life. The world had stepped in, and because of the wide support of those in political power, Arianism was choking the life out of the faithful. Satan wasn't satisfied with the progress Arianism was making. He would deal the death blow to the Council of Nicaea and its creed, or so he thought. And around the year 350 AD, the Nicene Creed was accused of contradicting Holy Scripture. Mm. But we know as powerful as the humans allow Satan to become, God always had a, has a quarterback there on the sidelines prepared to enter the game at the 11th hour and win for the Lord and his church. St. Athanasius wrote a powerful defense <clears throat> of the Nicene Creed. He said, let me read it to you. 125. God creates by calling into existence that which did not exist, requiring nothing in order to do it. But men work with some existing material, first praying and obtaining the ability of making from that God who fashioned all things through his own proper word. Men have no capacity for self-existence. They are, in fact, circumscribed in place and exist at the pleasure of the word of God. God, however, exists of himself, transcends all things, and is circumscribed by none. When between the years 340 and 370 AD, the disease of Arianism <clears throat> turned into widespread disorder, God called upon another champion, St. Jerome, a doctor of the church. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> Learned in Holy Scripture, he translated the Bible into everyday speech, Vulgate, of the people of Rome, which was Latin. He also translated the New Testament and the Psalms and wrote countless books on our faith, for which he de was declared one of the foremost doctors of the church. The Vulgate Bible of St. Jerome is considered the official Latin version of the Bible in the Roman Catholic Church. St. Jerome cried out <clears throat> that which we fear could happen in the not-too-distant future. The whole world awoke and groaned in astonishment to find itself Arian. Although the church was suffering, 
the wounds of division, with many following the false teachings of Arianism, St. Jerome wrote the following to Pope St. Damasius, quote, I am joined in communion with your holiness, that is, with the chair of Peter. Upon the rock I know the church is built. Whoever eats the lamb outside of that house is a profane person. Whoever is not in the ark shall perish in the flood. Whoever gathers not with you scatters. He who is not Christ belongs to the Antichrist. Order me, if you please, what I should do. The Lord raised up another defender of the faith, St. Ambrose. Milan was being torn apart by dissensions between Catholics and Arians. Arianism had been gaining a foothold in the East and had spread to Milan. The church was in danger. The forces of hell were being waged against her, and she was calling upon our Lord for a saint. That saint was, at this time and in this place, St. Ambrose. Our precious church was being split into two by schism and was bleeding. Bishop Ambrose had the difficult and unpopular mission of maintaining unity within the church and peace in the city, and all this without compromising the faith. Empress Justine, who <clears throat> once belonged to the Arian sect, demanded that Bishop Ambrose turn the church, attended by Catholics, believed to be the Cathedral of Milan, over to the Arians. St. Ambrose refused. The Empress sent in troops to forcibly take over the cathedral. She and they were not ready for what they encountered. St. Ambrose was preaching to a church full of worshipers. As some would leave to go home to their families, they were quickly replaced by others. Tribunes came with a summons for the bishop to relinquish the church to them. His important reply was a lesson to us. If the emperor demanded what belonged to me, even though everything I own belongs to the poor, I would not refuse. But the things of God are not mine. If anyone wants my patrimony, legacy, let him take it. If anyone wants my body, let him seize it. Do you want to put me in chains and lead me to death? I shall obey and shall not allow my people to, to defend me. I shall not kiss the altar begging for life. I prefer to be immolated on the altar. Nothing shook St. Ambrose. He sang the Psalms with his people, and the order was maintained. By 370 AD, through the faithfulness of many unsung heroes and heroines who remained with the church, often at a great price, the church was victorious. In 381 AD, the Council of Constantinople convened to reaffirm the Council of Nicaea and to reinstate the rightful Bishop of Constantinople. The Council restated Jesus' divinity in answer to a heresy, an offshoot of Arianism, which attacked the Holy Spirit. The Council not only confirmed our belief in the Holy Spirit as the third person in the Holy Trinity, but added to the Nicene Creed, with the Father and the Son, he is worshipped and glorified. The Pope and his faithful bishops hoped this council would unify the church, which had been split apart by Arianism. At times, we judge ourselves hopeless and helpless to combat the evil that is spreading throughout the world and throughout our church. The bad news is it's happening and has happened on and off for 2,000 years, but the good news is we're still here. Jesus and Mary always triumph. As with today and as with all those periods in history when whole nations left the church, it was not the desire of the majority of the people. 
the laity have always been faithful to the church and all too often have been sacrificial lambs through the hands of those whom they have trusted. Heresy and division have always spread through either religious who had gone astray or those in power using dissension within the church for their own personal gains. In all war, whether between principalities or nations, the end result is always the same, the innocent suffer. In the past, it was because we were not educated. But today, the Lord is gathering an army of St. Jerome, St. Athanasius, St. Hilary, St. Ambrose, St. Augustine's, and on and on. The names are different, but the hearts are the same. Those immersed in the sacred heart of Jesus and the immaculate heart of his Mary, his mother. When we are confused, when we find we cannot read a teaching of one theologian that does not contradict that of another, we have only to recall that it all happened before and we survived. When in doubt as to what to believe, just follow what a priest faithful to the Pope said recently. When you do not know who or what to believe, you can rely on the headship which Jesus left us, a succession of popes guided by the Holy Spirit and the Magisterium. How do we know the truth? What is the teaching of the church and what is heresy? We have the Magisterium, the teaching authority passed down by Jesus to his church, which in communion with the infallibility with which the church teaches authentically Holy Scripture, carries out and upholds through tradition the truths of our salvation. It is also the teaching authority of the church by which the College of Bishops, in union with the Pope, are guided by the Holy Spirit in defining the doctrines and discipline necessary for the good of souls. The Council of Nicaea had clearly stated the position of the church as far as this heresy was concerned. And that should have been the end of it. Yet over the centuries, like the bear who does not die but hibernates in the winter, only to rise refreshed and more deadly in the spring, so it has been with the scourge of Arianism. Is Arianism alive today? Are you still Catholic? Know your faith. Live it, love it, or lose it. This is your church, the one Jesus left to you. Don't let anyone take her away from you. We love you. Please load our free Bob and Penny Lord app. Here is how to download our free Bob and Penny Lord app. Simply with your iPhone or Android device, go to the app store, search for Bob and Penny Lord app and download it. It's that simple. Here's what you can do with our free Bob and Penny Lord app. Number one, the, there's a link to our marketplaces, our websites, uh, our uh, blog, and this podcast. The second link is to our Bob and Penny Lord TV channel, where you can access all of our videos as seen on EWTN, plus a whole lot more. Thank you very much.